Hi, my name is Carla. I know it seems like Twilight Zone, uh, but the announcements were already done and I'm actually preaching. This is such a crazy opportunity, but I thank the Lord for it. And I just can't believe that I'm here right now, but I thank you so much for being here today and for God giving me this opportunity to speak the word to you and to myself. I wanna make that clear as well. Um, this opportunity of preaching and, and talking of the word and the truth of the Lord is not something that I'm just telling you, but I'm telling myself and that I'm wrestling with myself as well. Um, so today, like Pedro said, we're gonna be going through Psalm 51. And I'm gonna give you a little bit of background of what the Psalm, um, what was leading up to the Psalm. And then I'll give you a little story about myself. But like I said, my name is Carla and today we'll be talking on Psalm 51. So a lot of the Psalms are written by David. I'm not sure if you guys know who he was, but he was a really prominent figure in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, but he's mentioned later in the, in the I mean, I'm sorry, in the Old Testament, but he's mentioned later in the New Testament. But he was a very prominent, um, devout believer and follower of God, and he was a great king that the Israelites really revered. To this day, he is really well known and um, honored as one of the greatest kings of the Israelites. So here's this great king who was chosen by the Lord, blessed to reign over his people. And leading up to this psalm, he had had a lot of blessing and conquers and just a lot of victories, and God was on his side. But obviously, everybody has uh, dealt with sin in the past or wrongdoings, and now we learn about David's great sin. Um, so leading up to the psalm, we have David, a great, a great king. Uh, it was a season of battle. He was supposed to go out with his troops out to battle, but he decided to stay back. So in his staying back, relaxing at home, whatever he chose to do, he sees Bathsheba, this lady that is a wife to a um, Hittite uh, named Uriah, who is out in battle at the time. Okay, so he's out and his wife is home and he sees her and this little bit of lust starts up in his heart and in his mind and he falls for it. He goes, he asks her to come and they lay together. That's something that they use in the Bible all the time. So they lay or they come into each other, meaning they did it. And now she is pregnant. <laughs> she is pregnant. So I, I'm being really dramatic because actually when you read it, it's, it's quite the story. So it seems like it's a soap opera, but this is truth. So this happens. So it doesn't even end there, okay? He realizes, the lady tells him, I'm pregnant, what am I gonna do? So he's, now he's really deep in his sin, deep in his own world here, and he tries to figure out how he's going to cover it up. I mean, how could a king like this commit such a sin? So he tells the troops and calls Uriah back, the husband. He tells him to come home, take a rest, go home, take a little break from the battle. So Uriah does that, but instead of actually going into his home, he sleeps outside his home. David meant this so Uriah would lay with his wife and make it seem like he actually impregnated his wife and not David himself. But Uriah being the faithful warrior that he was and knowing that this was not accepted, you shouldn't have any sexual relations or any sexual activity while you were in battle, he stays away from his wife. So David's plan A did not work, so he goes to plan B and decides to get uh, Uriah drunk so he would, could make some mistakes <laughs> under his drunkenness, but then Uriah's still faithful. So he goes back to battle and did, his plan didn't work. So what does David go into now? What is his next step? Is to have him killed in war. And how do we do that? He calls Uriah to be in the front lines. Most likely you're going to die if you're in the front lines and that's what happens. So Uriah is dead at the hands of David. 
indirectly, of course. But here we have this great king, this great king that is, honestly, if you know anything about him, his, the favorite line that we have of him is that David is a man after God's own heart. He desired what God wanted. He desired to please the Lord in everything that he did. But yet this great man falls into the grasp of sin and not only becomes an adulterer, but becomes a murderer all in one span of time. So here we have him, David and his sin, and he has Nathan, a prophet that the Lord has provided for the nation at that time, a person that is uh, hears from the Lord and speaks truth to his people. And in this case, he's responsible to speak truth to David. So God asks Nathan to confront David of his sin. So that's where we are, okay? Nathan is going to confront David of his sin. And I'm going to tell you how Nathan does that in a little bit. But first, I'll tell you a little bit <laughs> of an experience of what I have with confrontation. So I don't like confrontation, and I'll mention it probably a couple times in this sermon, although it has very little to do with confrontation. But back in the day when me and my brothers were younger, so I'm the oldest, and I have three younger brothers, Nick, which you may know, Matias, obviously you know, and Luciano, he's the youngest one. So we had this bad, bad habit and uh, <laughs> wrong ways of confronting each other when one of them, one of us was doing wrong to one another or did something wrong or talked something wrong about the other. There was three ways that were the default ways of running into confrontation with one another. The first one was just ignoring what happened. I could be very angry at my brother, or my, very, my brother could be very angry at me, but when we were crossing paths at my mom's house, it would just be like nothing ever happened. Hey, what's up? Actually, that's too much joy in my voice. This is really how we say hi to each other. Hey, what's up? And nothing ever happened. We never talked about the problem. The second way, which is my least favorite, but Nikki's favorite, is saying we need to talk. And either we talked three weeks later and completely forgot what the problem was or we never talked at all but he loved that line and I hate that line so don't ever do that to me just say it outright and then the third way which is my ultimate favorite at times it was complete confrontation face to face let's fight if you have something to say let's say it this was mine and, and Luciano's favorite way the youngest one so it would start off as having a normal conversation escalate to anger escalate to yelling and then to the point where I literally, I mean, he's 6'5", I would be face to face, telling him to punch me, telling him to hit me, because if he actually meant what he was saying, he would do something about it. Certain times, actually, punches did come to my face, but most of the time, my brothers would either punch the wall or punch the, uh, the door frame next to me to let me know that they were close, but they didn't do it. But Luli actually fell through a couple of times and actually did it. But anyway, those are the wrong ways to confront someone <laughs> of sin or someone of wrongdoing. But Nathan in this story actually does it in a really particular interesting way. So leading up to Psalm 51, let's not forget where we are. But I just wanted to share this story because I think it's interesting. Nathan confronts David of his sin using a story. So he, he plants and he's telling him about this parable, a story that I'm going to share with him, uh, saying... He tells him about a man, a man that is super rich, that has many possessions, many animals, everything that he could ever have, he had. But he wanted to have a party, and instead of using one of his lambs that he had, he took the lamb of a poor man, and he only had one lamb, and he took it for himself. So at this point, David was outraged. He said, Justin needs to be brought of this man. Who is this man? We need to do something about this. That is completely wrong. Why would he take something that belonged to someone else? 
And this is perfect because Nathan gets them all riled up. And at the end, Nathan says, well, actually, I'm not even talking about that man. I'm talking about you. You took something that didn't belong to you. And at that point, David is convicted of his sin, meaning he recognizes that he has sinned in front of the Lord and that he has sinned in front of his nation, in front of Bathsheba, and obviously Uriah now that he's dead. So now let's dive into Psalm 51. And um, just for the purpose of trying to understand it better and trying to explain it better to you and to myself, I divided the psalm into three parts. The first part that we're going to look at is verses 1 through 6. So the reason why I'm focusing so much on David and his response to his sin is because I think um, it's something that as believers or whether you have just started walking with Christ the Savior or you've been walking with him for a long time, we really need to dive in and take a look at how we um, react to our sin. How, what is our posture in front of the Lord when it comes to facing him in regards to our sin, facing him as we walk our paths of life? Um, so the question that we want to focus on during the sermon is what is the posture in front of the Lord and what should our response be? So the first section, as I said, is verses one through six. We're going to go through it and then we're going to focus on three basic themes, three main themes that David highlights here in his response. And that is recognition, confession and repentance. So let's take a look at the first verses together. Start in verse one. So this is David's response, remember, to his conviction of his sin. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone have I sinned and done what is right in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in my sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. So the first thing that we're going to focus is how David recognizes his sin and recognizes the truths of the Lord. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> this is very passionate and dramatic kind of language that David is using. That's something that we, we do know of him. He uses very dramatic and passionate language. But I think in this particular case, talking about his sin and, and how convicted he is of the wrongdoing that he has done in front of the Lord, it's very appropriate. And you might be thinking, well, of course, of course he would have a reaction like this. He just committed adultery. He just became a murderer. He just pretty much lied to his whole nation about who he was and what he was doing. Um, but let's, let's remind ourselves of what the Lord says about sin. Let's go to James 2.10 really quick. It says, for whoever keeps the law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. So whether you broke or you committed this one sin that you may view as really little or something really huge as adultery and murder, in the eyes of the Lord, it's all the same. Whether you broke one or the other, you have broken the law. You have been accountable for all. So that's something that we should keep in mind as we try to um, discern and be convicted of our own sin and how we respond and our posture in front of the Lord. Sin is equal. Sin is the same in the front of God, in the eyes of God. Um, so let's take a look at the wording that David uses in, these, in this passage, in this particular verses 1 through 6. First, he recognizes the truth of the Lord. He recognizes that God has mercy, that he has abundant mercy that he is willing to shed over him. He asks God to wash him and cleanse him because God only is holy and is able to do that. So Jesus is holy and that's why he's died on the cross for his sins to with his blood washes of our sins. He recognizes that 
aside from the fact that he has committed a sin against Bathsheba, against his nation, against Uriah, ultimately the sin, the consequences and the sin was done against the Lord. That is the ultimate one, as we see in, in verse 4. And again, he, he brings it back again. So he brings it back the truth that God is holy. God is just to be angered, to be displeased with David's sin. And at the end, he, he even brings more truth into it and stating that the Lord delights in truth in the most inward parts of our being. And he acknowledges that God is willing to teach him wisdom in the most secret parts of his heart. So he recognizes the truth of the Lord and he confesses his sin. At this point, he has obviously shed the truth on, on what he has done to Nathan. And he is coming to the Lord to confess and shed the truth and light on what he has done to the Lord. So as he's asking God to cleanse him, as he's asking God to wash him thoroughly um, from his transgressions and wants to be a new person, he's going into a, a state of repentance. True repentance is true, honest remorse. You recognize what you've done and you desire change. You want change. I think uh, a lot of us in the beginning of our walk, if you just started walking with Christ, you may be feeling these things today. But if you've been walking with the Lord years for years, uh, these kind of passionate feelings against your sin were something that we felt in the beginning of our walk because we knew how much uh, our sin displeased the Lord. We knew how much weight we would carry. So we gave it to the Lord. We released it and we asked God to cleanse us of that. And we asked Jesus to be our savior and, and he cleanses us and he promises that the, con the ultimate consequence of sin, which is eternal death, will no longer be once we walk with him and we accept him as savior. So that is done. But as we started walking and as we started growing in our relationship with the Lord, somehow the gravity and the heaviness of sin kind of diminishes. At least it's done in my part. Um, at first I could totally see myself claiming these things to the Lord and asking him to forgive me and to wash me because I didn't want to be that person anymore. But nowadays it could be a simple, please forgive me. <laughs> and then I forget about what I even did or what, what that has caused in my heart. And that's something that I think uh, David, through the, through the Holy Spirit, is really wise in putting into in verse 6. He says, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the most secret heart. So in the most secret spaces of our hearts, that's where God wants to dwell. That's where God wants to peek light into. He wants to expose those moments. And the question that I have for us, and that we'll, we'll talk about at the end of the sermon as well, is how many of us actually... Take part in true confession and repentance with one another. I know there might be things in my heart that I could analyze and, and bring to the Lord by myself, but unless it's I bring it out in true light and confession with other brothers and sisters in Christ, how, how, really, like, how easy is it going to be to actually bring change into that part of my heart? If we recognize that what God desires, which is truth and wisdom in the innermost parts of our hearts and our being, if we can recognize that that is true, then we need to allow God to access these most important inner parts of our being. So if that means that in your MC or in your small knit community that you may have, this means bringing out in confession these sins that you may be struggling with, then let that be. Let you yourself come to these moments in which you allow God to shine light on these areas in your life. Sin creeps in the smallest, most, uh, like, creepiest ways and little tiny ways that we don't even know, and then it grows. 
If this means that you need to seek a counselor or a professional help to deal with certain sins that you've been hiding away in the deepest part of your heart, then you need to do so. Don't wait until it grows and takes such a strong hold of your heart, which it's apparent. It's easy sometimes to, to deal with and, and confront sins that are really outward, that people can see or that has actual consequences that we, that we experience. It's easy to talk about those, but the ones in the most inner part of our being, those are the ones that God wants to shed light on even more so. If David hadn't shined his light or confessed or actually put attention to the fact that he was lusting over a woman that wasn't his, maybe that sin would not have grown into actual adultery and murder. It would have been taken care of, chopped off, off of his heart right from the beginning. So that's what we see and we recognize in the first section of these verses. The importance of recognizing the truth of who God is, recognizing our posture in front of him, the importance of confession, the importance of true repentance. So now we're going to move on to part two of this section of this psalm. We're going to look into seven through ten. So verses seven through ten. So obviously we saw David's confession, David's desire for true repentance. And now, that doesn't stop there. <laughs> the Lord wants the full process to go through. And David recognizes this, and that's why he has, he has wisdom. And that's why we, we need to learn from him and how he speaks and regards the Lord. Next, in these verses, we're going to see that he desires a clean heart and a renewed spirit. That only God can give him. So let's read through the verses, and then we'll break it through. In verse 7, he says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. And most importantly, my favorite verse, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So like I said before, if you're really true repentant of your sin, there needs to be change. If you're allowing God to shine light on these areas in your life that you may have hidden or think are in the dark, there needs to be change. So as David, look at the language again that he uses. He's asking God to purge him, to clean him, to wash him. And then after those things, he's just going to be whiter than snow. Why does he ask God again? Because God is holy and he's the one that's able to do so. So verse 8, I think, is really particularly interesting. Um, he's asking God to, he says, Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. So I'm going to be really honest and, and, and actually get <laughs> make have a little bit of confession with you guys today as well um i think a lot of us had this problem but maybe i had it more than others when i was young a teenager starting to get into these things that i know were wrong uh or, or not some things that a believer should be doing i started um and like i said i didn't like confrontation so i definitely did not like anybody telling me that i was doing something wrong or that it was gonna have wrong consequences or that i was not being a, a true believer of christ if i was walking in those paths so in order to avoid those kinds of conversations i hid things i started just omitting things from my parents at first if i said i was going to go to my friend's house uh that's where i was going to go but then if i was going to do something else aside from being at her house i was just going to omit that part I didn't want to hear it. Maybe they would not have reacted, but I assumed that they would, so I would just hide it. And then omitting became lying. I would straight up lie about situations, so I didn't want to hear it from them at all. I would lie complete about complete like sections of my life, like people I was dating or things that were huge. And that was easier for me because I'd rather have control over those things 
then have confrontation or hear things that I didn't want to hear. So that's what I did. And that uh, not only uh, affected my innermost circles, it didn't only affect my parents and then my brothers, but it started affecting my friends. It started affecting, because I couldn't just have the lie in one section of my life because it was not, it was gonna come out in another way. So I might as well lie to everybody about the same situation because that was easier for me to control. So it robbed me of having joy with the relationships with my family. It robbed me of the joy that I would have in relationships with my friends. And it eventually robbed me of the joy of the relationships that I, um, that I was building within ministry or things that I was doing for the Lord. It completely shut me off. It put me in a complete darkness. <laughs> I was held on by the sh chains of my sin so much that I couldn't enjoy any aspect of my life. And that's how big it got until the Lord actually broke those chains and brought to light a lot of those lies, a lot of those sins, and it was painful, and it was not nice <laughs> moment of my life, but he was able to cleanse those innermost parts of my, of my being. But let me tell you, let me just show you, <laughs> and let me be completely honest, as to how much grip a sin can have in the most inner parts. So that was then, that was years ago. Okay, these habits that I had, these sinful patterns of lying and omitting were things that I dealt with I thought years ago. So leading up to today, actually leading up to preaching in front of you guys, uh, Pedro had asked me to do though this about uh, like probably two months ago or so. But it was only about a week ago that I shared this with my parents and my family. Why? Why did? <laughs> why you may ask? Why would I not share some some great opportunity? Because the the sinful nature that i had that sinful pattern of omitting and assuming and not liking what i might want to hear or not want to hear rather prevented me from sharing this with them so silly i know i know but it took so much of me that it prevented me from sharing of this great opportunity for 2 months i know it sounds crazy and then until i spoke with uh, the women in the women's group and i shared this that I couldn't allow my sinful pattern to come and creep in the most weirdest ways. Like, why would I want to share about this? But it did. And then that's why it took me two months. And it robbed me from two months of sharing this process with them. Both my dad and my brother preach often. I could have shared many opportunities of how I, how I dwelt in the scripture, how I found out these points. It could have helped me more. Two months, it robbed me of that joy that I could have shared with them. That's how strong sin is in our lives. And that's why I think David is so wise and, and obviously the Holy Spirit was speaking through him as he's stating in verse two, to, uh, he's asking God for that joy and that gladness that he knows and has experienced before in the past with the Lord to be restored because he understood what it was to walk without that, to walk apart from the Lord. Because when sin takes hold of our lives, yes, um, we're still saved. We don't lose our salvation, but there is a, there's like a, a, a darkness, like a cloud in front of me and the Lord, our relationships all around. There's something that just heaviness. And if we don't do anything about it, it'll remain. It'll, it'll keep us in that bubble. Um, so it's very important that we take importance, <laughs> that we take a highlight, highlighter and remember that we lose joy when sin takes over our lives or when sin creeps into our lives in the most minimal way. And verse 10, verse 10 I think is so important in order to prevent that. When, when we want change in our lives, when we want to repent from sin and allow sin to be um, just cleansed from our lives like David is asking God for him to do here, there needs to be change in our hearts and then 
our spirits. There needs to be change in our minds and in our hearts. So in our innermost being, there needs to be change. And let's see why. Let's remind ourselves why that is important. Let's go to Matthew 15, 18 really quick. So Matthew 15, 18 says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person. So your actions, what's coming out of your heart is, is going to be portrayed in the way that you talk, in the way that you act, in the way that you think. So in order for us to, to have um, a mind and heart that is pleasing to the Lord, then we need to allow the Lord to clean those areas in our lives, to purge those areas in our lives. And we need to be indoctrinated by the things of the Lord and not the things of the world. I heard a pastor um, in a sermon recently, he put it in such a simple way, but I had not thought about it this, this way before. But if we don't allow our hearts to be renewed and our minds to be renewed by the truth of the Lord, in which we find in his scriptures, in a personal relationship with Jesus, if we don't allow those truths to penetrate our hearts and our minds, then we by default are going to be indoctrinated by the things of the earth, the things of the world. And let's be honest, let's take a look at 2020. Do we really wanna be indoctrinated by the things of the world. We started out the year with the pandemic. Uh, everybody was scared, everybody was fearful. We, we wanted to be more together in our families. We wanted to show uh, companionship and fidelity and, and support for those that were sick, support for the nurses, support for the hospitals. There was a, a, a huge, although people were going in pain and having fear, there was like a huge hug that the world was giving to each other. People were dancing, singing, talking to each other through the buildings, maybe not here in New York because obviously we don't do that. But in Italy and Europe, people are being friendly with one another despite the distance and all people wanted to do was support. Shortly after, what do we see? The truth about racial injustice that still remains in our, in our country today. That arises. And what does that cause? It causes us to realize what's really in our hearts, what we're still dealing with. And that turns into hatred of certain racial groups, hatred against police enforcement, and all these um, just disgusting feeling towards other human beings. And that is all indoctrinating our minds and our hearts. Shortly after, political unrest. We see violence. We see, um, if you're not on this side of the party, then you must be on the other one, and therefore you're and my enemy. I don't accept you and your way of thinking. And all those things are obviously always in our social media, in our news, in the talks, everybody's talking about it. So if we allow those things to indoctrinate the deepest ends of our hearts and our spirits, that's what's going to come out. You're going to be tossed to and fro because the world, I'm sorry to say, it changes. Their opinions change, their feelings change, their emotions change. Things change from year to year and look at 2020, it changed from month to month. If we really want to be indoctrinated truly and our hearts and our minds to be renewed, in something that is constant, something that is unwavering and unchanging, like David is asking here. He wants a right spirit. And in other uh, Bible um, versions, it uses the word steadfast, which means unwavering, unchanging. If you really want your heart to be clean and your mind to be unwavering, then we need to be spending time in the scripture and the truths of the Lord, because those don't change. God doesn't change. That's what we need to be doing. That's a true change that will follow true repentance. So like we mentioned in verse 10, David is asking God to create a clean heart and a right, steadfast spirit within him. So guys, I know, we are like, well, that is a lot. I've already confessed, I've already repented. 
I want a clean new heart. I'm willing to go through the, the trouble of what that looks like and the breaking of what that looks like, but God doesn't stop there. And that's why I love this, this song because I think it clearly shows the whole life of a believer. Like it shows everything that God wants from us and desires of us, not because God is a God that just wants these things from us because he knows that these things are good for us and that would give us the ultimate joy in our lives. So we, like I said, we went through confessing, repenting to change and now God is uh, wanting our response. So what is our response to all this? This cannot end there. This cannot end just by myself and in my own personal life. No, David here is so clear to highlight what cause, what happens after this. So what happens after the change? So let's read verses 11 to 15. He says, cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from my blood guiltness Oh God, oh God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud your righteousness. Oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. So first David is asking God that he does not want to experience being away from his presence again. He does not want to be so deep into his sin that he won't that he'll feel so distanced from the Lord. And that's something that our response should be. I don't want to be that person anymore. I don't want that sin to take a hold of my life anymore. I want to be in your presence. Then again, he asks, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. If you have been walking with the Lord for a while, we forgot how joyful that first moment was when we came to his feet, when we recognized that he's our savior and that he promises eternal life with him. That joy, that, those memories that we have of, of what it was to shed and break chains of sin and break our chains of things and actually experience the true joy that God wants for us in this life, we may have forgotten. And so did David. So he's asking God to restore that joy of his salvation. And that's what we should ask him always. Remind me, remind me of that joy that you have provided with, for me ever since the beginning, ever since Jesus died on that cross and resurrected, the joy, the true joy began that he wanted us to experience. And what is the ultimate response because of the joy is that he will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. The ultimate commandment that God, that Jesus left us before he returned to his home. He left us with a commandment to share the good news of the gospel, to share all these things. And what easier way to share when you experience it yourself, when you have true joy, when you have experienced what it is to walk and the pattern of sin and walk in the freedom of Christ, you have the ultimate evidence and experience and example to share with others about this joy. David doesn't stop in, I'm clean now. I have a clean, renewed heart and therefore I'm okay. No, now I want to share with others. I want to share with others what God is capable of doing in your life as well. And I think that's so important because Nowadays, we're so easily, <laughs> we share about uh, good deals, good offers, good foods, good restaurants, good recipes, how easy to do this, what's the easiest way to do that. And those are all good things that help all of us. But frankly, this is the thing that we need to be sharing the most. If you've just come to know the Lord, or if you've been walking with Jesus for a very long time, this should be our primary concern. The primary words are coming out of our mouths. Like David is asking God, we should ask God, for our tongue to sing aloud of his righteousness. We should ask God to open our lips and our mouths would declare his praise, the praise of the Lord at all times. 
And what more so, what better way to do it than share it with those that don't know of that joy yet. Yes, it's nice. We should share the joy of, of his salvation and the victories that he has caused in our life with other believers. But we need to do so more with those that don't know because they're the ones that are missing out, that are, haven't experienced that joy. Let's share. Let's take the command that Jesus left us and take it serious. And how better to do it with our own personal experiences. And I think the verses that I will end with is verse 16 and 17. These verses really just sum this whole thing up and go back to our first original question. What is our response? Um, no, first off, what is our posture in front of the Lord? And how should our response be? And, and David really puts it so clearly here on what our posture should be in front of the Lord. He says in verse 16, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So in verse 16, he's saying, back in the day, people sacrificed things to the Lord. They sacrificed animals. I know, sad. They sacrificed things. They did burnt offerings. These are actions, outward actions, in which they um, partook in in order to please the Lord, do something for the Lord, um, asking for forgiveness of sins. Those were actual outward actions. And it would be equivalent to us serving in church, loving others, being a light in our community by giving others food, all outward actions. If those outward actions are not partnered up with, like verse 17 says, a contrite, broken heart, that it, they will not be pleasing to the Lord. So this is the posture that David here comes to recognize at the end of his psalm, and this is the posture that I'm trying to highlight for all of us. The posture that the Lord delights in is a broken, humble heart, a heart that is willing to go through the process, a heart that is willing to go through the confession, the repentance, the change inside and out, a heart that is willing to be so humbled by God's presence and his power that we're just filled with his joy and able to respond in praise to him, to others, and to the world at all times. That is the heart that God desires. That is the posture that God desires, a contrite, broken spirit. So if we really believe these things, if we really truly value the word of the scriptures and word of other believers that have walked before us, then we need to take these things serious. Let's really seek after the joy that God has provided through his son, Jesus, and, and not just take it as a, a one-time thing because the Lord wants to restore our joy and our lives and our hearts and renew it on an everyday basis. So let's do this together. Let's take the opportunity that we have as a community. We have brothers and sisters to whom we could talk to freely at all times. Let's be honest. Let's, let's allow God to shine light on the deepest areas of our lives and allow him to cause true change. And in response, others will hear of this true change and others will hear of his salvation. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to share this word with you. Let's close in prayer and then I'll share with you the prompt questions. Heavenly Father, I uh, still can't believe I just ended a sermon in front of my church, God. Um, thank you so much for this opportunity and I, and I really hope that, and I trust that your word is given, that it wasn't my word but yours. Um, Holy Spirit, thank you for convicting us of sin. Thank you for shining a light or wanting to shine light in the deepest areas of our hearts and our minds, God. Um, thank you that you don't just leave it there, that you want true change, that you desire us to experience hope, to experience joy, and to be able to share it with others, Lord. Give us the word. Give us the wisdom on how to do so. 
and give us the confidence and honest relationships within our church to be able to go through this process together. However many times we need to do it, because this life is long, and there's going to be many times where you want us to renew our minds and our hearts, Lord. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for this church and this family of believers that you've placed um, me and Lewis in, Lord. And uh, we just thank you for who you are and that you want us to experience the ultimate joy in you, Jesus. I pray all this in your name. Amen. So I have a couple of prompt questions for you. These are three, and I hope they're clear. <laughs> so the first one is, how would you describe your current posture in front of the Lord? So I explained to you what the posture that the Lord uh, desires and is pleased in, but how would you describe your current posture in front of the Lord? Second question, do you practice confession in your current walk? Third question, are there areas in your life, in your heart, and in your mind that you're not allowing to be renewed by the truth and wisdom of the Lord? Okay, so those are our prompt questions for today. So be sure to join the Zoom calls with your MCs. And if you have never joined a Zoom call before, you could email info at citylifenj.com right now. And they could hook you up with one of the MCs so you could partake into these conversations as well. So thank you so much today for joining in our sermon and our service today. Uh, remind you that MCs are meeting during the week. So if you've never joined before, don't forget to uh, sign up and, and try them out. And we will see you again next Sunday on this call. Thank you. Have a good week.